Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Going Coastal podcast, the podcast of the Students and New Professionals chapter of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association and hosted by the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I'm one of your co-hosts, Marissa Torres. And I'm your other co-host, John Miller. And so if you are a frequent listener of this podcast, which I hope you are, you'll know that we have some of our running themes and topic areas that we like to touch on throughout the year, including our professional development series, student research spotlight series, etc. Well, this month, the ASBPA Coastal Summit is upon us once again. So we're going to talk about some coastal policy and what to expect going into this year's summit. Joining us today is actually Jack Coben, Senior Business development manager at Fugro in Baton Rouge and one of your summit organizing committee members. So welcome, Jack. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome. Yeah. So we always love to start this show with getting to know our guests a little bit. We'd love to get to know your academic and professional background and how you got involved in the coastal field and how you got involved with ASPPA. Uh, sure. Um, I, I started off, uh, I, I actually grew up in Memphis, uh, you know, the coastal town that it is, uh, <laughs> as, far, as far from the beach as you can get, but always grew up kind of, you know, going to the beaches, uh, you know, had, had uh, friends and family who had places down the Florida panhandle. So, you know, kind of grew up really loving the coast. Um, when I went to school as an undergrad, I, I went to Ole Miss uh, for geological engineering and, you know, that's, I guess really, I wanted to get into engineering of some kind, but didn't really know what. And uh, the geological program was just getting started there. And uh, it was just a really great opportunity to, to be kind of in that in-between area of inside, outside, uh, and, and learned a lot about, about coastal processes while I was in that program. Um, over the summers, I interned as a, a geotechnical and construction engineering technician at, at a local firm in Memphis. Uh, uh, once I finished my undergrad, I went to master's, to, uh, started a master's program at Ole Miss, uh, but then transferred to the University of Memphis to work full time uh, at that same uh, uh, company. Um, it, only at that point, I was doing more environmental earth sciences as my, my program, uh, looking at, at like groundwater uh, science and uh, different hydrological uh, sciences. Um, upon graduation, I moved to Louisiana uh, once I got married to a, a girl from, from Marksville, Louisiana. And at that point, really, is when I kind of got, I guess, really deep into the coastal side of things. Um, the company I worked for was part of a joint venture that was doing all the post-Hurricane Katrina hurricane protection system rebuild, uh, the Hurricane Storm Damage Risk Reduction System, HISDRIS, if you're into a- uh, acronyms from the Corps of Engineers. But um, it, it, I think, really, that was where I got really to where I, I got involved with like coastal protection and coastal restoration in a more, you know, practical sense. Um, and, and really, you know, just kind of being, I guess, enamored with, with the coastal culture and the coastal environment. And of course the coastal economy that, that really drives Louisiana uh, south of I-10. Um, you know, I eventually decided to go back to school. Uh, my wife actually, uh, who, who's a, a medical professional, went back to school for a fellowship in Memphis. So we, I went back and, and, and took on a PhD program at my same, uh, with my same professor at the University of Memphis uh, and, and tried to really tailor my, my work as much to coastal sciences as you can, which, again, it's a landlocked area. Uh, but there are some, some things in Louisiana or rather in Memphis that uh that greatly impact louisiana obviously it's the mississippi river flows past memphis um and and so my studies were on uh, nitrogen cycling in the river 
and how that in turn impacts uh, the, the seasonal dead zone that occurs down in the Gulf of Mexico with the hypoxic zone, if you will. Um, and, and so really, I guess kind of all those things together drove me back to Louisiana um, at, where I eventually got a job with, with Fugro and have kind of worked my way up from lab manager to project manager and now doing business development as well. So I've gotten really a, a good, I guess, kind of broad uh, spectrum of, of experience um, working across different areas of, of the company and different different roles and different scopes, things that I, I've some that I never really expected or I guess really wanted to be doing it at, at the time, but have uh, re- really come to enjoy. Um, and part of my business development, what I've enjoyed most about it is getting to be uh, involved with ASBPA. Uh, I've, I've started off kind of working with a group in Louisiana called the Coast Builders Coalition. And our executive director here is really the one that kind of plugged me in with ASBPA. And uh, I guess tw- it was probably 2019, uh, Brett Webb, uh, one of the coastal engineering professors at University of South, South Alabama uh, over in Mobile, he was wanting to put together uh, an ASBPA chapter that would cover uh, the, the central Gulf Coast cha- uh, uh, states of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to be a charter member of that of that charter or of that chapter, and uh, now still serve as, as a board member. And um, through that, of you know, it's open doors that I never would have expected, like getting to be a, the chairman or a co-chair uh, of the Coastal Summit and getting to go and uh, you know interact with with different folks from DC, you know, coastal policymakers and congressional delegates. It's just been a, a really great experience. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a no kind of problem. one big chunk there. Yeah, I, I give you credit for remembering the all to answer all of the aspects of Marissa's question. That was, that was you great. did <laughs> literally all three phases. You answered all of them. That's fantastic. So we're done now. That's it. That's all we got. <laughs> yeah, right. That's all we needed. <laughs> no, that sounds great. Um, interesting. You know, going from the engineering side of things to more sciency to like you mentioned nitrogen cycle nitrogen cycling, which is a whole like biology, chemistry type environment that's completely different from engineering sometimes, um, um, at least traditional, I guess. I don't know. I'm thinking about like civil engineers compared to like geologic engineers. I'm not actually sure what geologic engineers do. I, I think that's interesting though. You pointed out, right? Because we we tend to think of ourselves, Marissa and I are both coastal engineers. So we, we have our background in but it points out the sort of diversity of the profession and there's a lot of different routes that can lead you into jobs in coastal, right? So there's geologists, there's the planners, there's, you know, uh, environmental engineering, water quality. Like there's a lot of different ways to get to the best part of engineering, which is the, or best part of, I guess, working, which is the coastal environment. So. No, absolutely. I I think that it it really, the coastal environment, I think it, it, provides a ton of different opportunities that, you know, uh, people might not consider. Uh, I, I think depending on what region of the country you're in too, you might kind of see the coast as a different, you know, I guess, economic driver, obviously in places like Florida, it's big tourism, you know, people like to go hang out at the beach, go swim, surf, whatever. Uh, in Louisiana, we've got a little bit, I mean, well, a much different environment. We're much more of what I guess people down here kind of define as the working coast, um, you know, we have a, a huge port network that goes up and down the Mississippi River and then against uh, also again on our coast. Uh, you know, we have energy production. We have, uh, you know, ecological uh, tourism, if you want to call it that, you know, fishing uh, at the commercial level and also at the recreational level. So um, there's just a, a lot of different things. And so I think for 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 me, kind of looking at it now, 
all the opportunities that are now open to me as a coastal practitioner, uh, I would have never even imagined most of them when I was in school because I would have thought like, oh, you're either going to work, you know, on like offshore in oil and gas, or maybe you're going to work as like a, I don't know, a, a lifeguard at the beach. And there's like really no in between, but it turns out there's a whole lot. I think that's, a, that's definitely a recurring theme that we talk a lot about on this show is that there's a lot of different ways to come at it and, and, and to end up in the space that we all kind of, kind of work in. And, you know, certainly for me as an academic, I, I uh, am constantly searching for ways to better, I guess, publicize um, sort of that unknown sort of career path. Like you said, it's either you're a lifeguard, a marine biologist, or, uh, you know, Working offshore gas. gas. Yeah. And like, there's nothing in between. And, you know, uh, you know, you're working down in Louisiana. I'm up in New Jersey. Marissa's somewhere, New Hampshire or something like that. I don't know. Uh, New Hampshire, the smallest slice of the coastline. But, you know, we all, we all end up, you know, working in this really cool, cool field, which is, which is, which I think is, is really interesting. I think, Jack, you might have the, uh, I guess the, so we, we had a guest on recently University of Southern California. And, you know, I actually mistakenly made the comment about, oh, I don't think of them when I think of coastal, because I think more sort of East Coast, Barrier Island coastal and University of Southern California is more um, tsunami based and um, more recent in in terms of coastal engineering, some of the, the work that they're doing out there. But I think University of Memphis, Memphis might be the, the winner as sort of the most um, I guess non-typical uh, place to go to school and end up working in this in, in the in coastal. So you win that award. Congratulations! <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess you know there there was a few wetland ecology classes there when I was in school, and uh, a lot of it was you know more geomorphological kind of studies, uh, and especially like river studies. But you know, since especially in Louisiana, our entire uh, landmass basically south of I-10 uh, is is some kind of delta that was either a delta or a chenier plain kind of uh, geologic environment. So, uh, you know, having that fluvial uh, process kind of background really has helped a lot uh, with, with understanding how things work here. And, you know, it's it's a big issue with Louisiana right now. There's of course some projects going on that are, uh, I guess, maybe somewhat controversial. I mean, they're wanting to develop these uh, sediment diversion projects through our, our state protection or coastal protection authority. And um, I, mean, I think that if you understand the, the fluvial processes that form Louisiana, it makes a lot more sense than if you're just the average person who says like, why would they want to flood the river on purpose or flood the areas outside the river on purpose? They didn't know what the levees are there for. So uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's been good for me to kind of get like that full, like, I guess the river from like how it was built to the pro- protecting it now, or I mean the coast rather uh, how it was built to protecting it. So, uh, it's been interesting. So you certainly dove headfirst into kind of uh, this, you know, you're going from engineering to this lab and program management now at, at Fugro and getting more involved in the policy aspect of things. And, you know, how are we going to get the funding to do these things? Um, you mentioned the Coastal Protection Authority. Could you go a little bit deeper? Like, what is that and what does it do? Sure. So um, it really goes back to, to right after Hurricane Katrina. Um, I guess prior to that point, Louisiana had you know some level of coastal uh, I guess oversight um, through like the Department of Natural Resources, and some of it was going through uh, like 
uh, Department of Environmental Quality, maybe some through uh, our Department of Transportation and Development, maybe, and then also, you know, the Corps of Engineers has their big office in New Orleans. Um, and, and they all had their role to play, but post Katrina, it was very evident that we needed a much more structured and focused approach uh, to, to protecting the coast because um, every time a storm came through, you know, we'd lose big chunks of land and we're always, you know, fighting that land loss down here. So I believe it was Governor Blanco uh, a little over 15 years ago who formed the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority of Louisiana. And it took parts of all those different divisions and informed it into one one agency. And uh, they are really kind of on the leading edge that a lot of other states and even other countries are starting to follow now as far as having this, you know, like I said, structured master plan of like, how are we going to uh, prioritize projects? How are we going to fund projects? How are we going to build and, and manage projects? And, um, you know, they have a, like a 50 year or a $50 billion, 50 year master plan uh, that gets revised all the time. And it's got different funding sources, um, you know, some coming through Quipra, the Coastal Protection Wetland, Wetlands Restoration uh, th- Act, I think. I can't remember exactly what all the acronym stands for, but it's the, the, the BRO Act that Senator John Bro had uh, written in the place for us. And then uh, I, I mean, one of the biggest funding sources really is GOMESA. Now that's uh, the Gulf of Mexico Energy Security Act, which uh, our former Senator Mary Landrieu uh, wrote into law uh, back when she was in, in office. And, and that one is you know, a hugely important piece of legislation. It's like the most reliable uh, recurring piece of funding that comes out. And it, it does uh, take money off of uh, offshore, uh, offshore energy development. So, you know, it's something that, you know, some states don't want to really be a part of because they don't want to have to open themselves to having, you know, oil and gas operations. But the Gulf of Mexico for Louisiana, that's been uh, a huge part of our livelihood, a huge part of the culture down here. Um, it's, it's put, you know, generations of people through uh, in, into, you know, very good paying jobs. But I think the one of the more important uh, pieces of legislation that's coming out now is uh, the RISE Act. And that's one that uh, is a bipartisan, bicameral bill that Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana and Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island really spearheaded. And they've now gotten uh, two Texas House members, uh, Lizzie Fletcher and uh, Randy Weber, uh, to, again, you know, bipartisan uh uh, coalition trying to push the this this bill through this year that would expand some of the funding that comes out of the Go Mesa, but also create a similar funding stream for offshore wind, which is a huge uh, growing business um, on all three coasts uh, or you know Gulf East and West Coast. And um, I, I think that you know if we can get that one across the finish line this year, uh, that would be a real big boost for coastal areas all over because it's going to benefit all coastal states, not just the energy producing states and not just the Gulf coast states. So, um, you know, it's really important, but I guess getting, getting back to the CPRA, you know, they've, they've formed a lot of great partnerships with the core engineers. They've done a lot of great work, you know, restored, you know, thousands of acres of, of marsh and, and wetlands that have been lost, uh, to, you know, various man-made and uh, natural processes. Um, you know, another thing I mentioned about how it's kind of become like this international model, We've recently signed uh, a partnership with the country of France um, with the state of Louisiana, where they're going to have two of their coastal scientists or maybe more than that. That might be actually like closer to six or seven, but they're going to have a team of coastal sciences or scientists uh, embedded within CPRA um, 
to kind of learn like how we're doing things and, and, and share ideas. So I, I think that uh, it's really a, a great opportunity for Louisiana to take, you know, what really is a, an existential crisis, if you want to call it that, but it's, it's probably a, a fair statement. Um, but taking that problem and using it as now we've got this expertise we've developed by fighting against that. And now we can export that and use that to help other parts of the world and other parts of the country. That, that's really interesting because typically the way that it works is disaster happens. And then we look to the Dutch and the Dutch being the, the flooding, the water experts, right? They bring their expertise over. And now it's kind of almost like full circle, right? You learning from the Dutch after Katrina and up in the Northeast hurricane Sandy and things like that. And now here we're on the more experienced, more knowledgeable side and then transferring that back to, to France. So that's kind of an interesting, that's, that's really interesting. Oh, and it's, yeah, you're correct about the Dutch. I mean, that's, that's definitely something that um, we've learned from them. And there have been, uh, I guess, delegations from Louisiana that have gone over to kind of see what they're doing. And, and there is a partnership between the Water Institute of the Gulf that's based here in Baton Rouge, actually just a couple miles from my house. Um, they have a partnership with Del Tares. So there's definitely a lot of exchange of ideas. And as far as, uh, you know, other countries, I don't think there's another country that has, you know, problems that are, or, or I guess issues that they're dealing with uh, like Louisiana as, as much as the Dutch do. Like they have a very similar kind of landscape, low lying coastal areas. And, you know, they have a, a, a huge port system over there as well. So they're in, in a lot of ways are very similar to, to Louisiana. Um, and I will throw out there that food grow is a Dutch company. So it, I guess it makes sense that, you know, we are, we're as a company trying to be much more proactive on, on the coastal resiliency uh, and ocean sciences side. Uh, in fact, a division of, of Fugro that has just been formed in the United States uh, and then also abroad, we have like a true like coastal group, whereas before it was kind of uh, something that we worked on with our different divisions. But, you know, now it's much more structured and it's really exciting to kind of see that that development coming around. Nothing against the Dutch, but the food's better in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> I won't argue that. Definitely not. Wow. Wow. So do you think um, these... You know, you mentioned the RISE Act. That's an important piece of legislation um, going into uh, going on in Capitol Hill right now. Is that going to be a topic of discussion at the ASBPA Coastal Summit? Uh, most definitely. I think that's something that will be brought up, uh, especially like I said, now that it's um, it's it's much more encompassing rather than focusing on the on the Gulf Coast. It's it's covering all these different states uh, around the country. Um, I think it'll be a big topic. There's also, uh, you know, the Breeze Act is another one that's coming through uh, Louisiana. Our, our two uh, uh, congressmen, uh, Troy Carter and Steve Scalise, uh, again, by, in a bipartisan effort, they're, they're working to get that bill. I think it was actually just added this past week uh, to an energy committee bill that's uh, getting set to be introduced. So that that's very similar in scope. It's, you know, uh, again, it's, as the name would imply, Breeze, it's, it's, it's focused on offshore wind. So I think it's a little bit more palatable for maybe some states that uh, are kind of standoffish about wind uh, or sorry, energy and uh, production, because traditionally that has meant fossil fuels. And so this bill hopefully will help to combat, uh, you know, climate change issues, uh, reduce carbon emissions while also uh, producing, you know, more energy security and, and coastal resiliency dollars. So, uh, that's something that I think will be discussed very, very uh, in depth. And then also WERDA is another one that, you know, that, that's, I guess, something that we, we have come out every few years. Um, but 
it's a, a very important bill. And it's been good to see that that bill has kind of been beefed up over uh, the past few cycles. Um, you know, anything we can do to, to see more funding for coastal resiliency, I think that's important. I mean, just with the amount of population we have on the Gulf and the amount of commerce it's on, uh, or not, not just the Gulf, but like coastal areas in general, um, you know, anything we can do to protect them is, it, it's good for, for the country. It's good for everyone who lives in those areas. Hey, you're not going to hear any objections from us, you know, fully on board with that. Um, totally in agreement there. Uh, for our listeners, WERDA is probably hopefully a word or acronym that you've heard before. Uh, correct me on this acronym is the Water Resources Development Act. I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes the, the the alphabet soup of uh, acronyms gets a little bit confusing. So, like, I know, I know I'm hopefully I'm not losing people with some of these uh, acts that are coming out, like rise and breeze and stuff. But I'd honestly have to look them all up, make sure I'm saying them right. And uh... <laughs> I figured I'm like I'm not going to make you spell them out because I also don't know what they are. I don't expect you to know what they are. But that's why you know I'm in the federal government as well, and part of the game to sell your and pitch your project is if you have a good acronym that people will remember, doesn't matter what the acronym stands for. If they're going to remember that nice, catchy, like acronym, it's gold. Yeah. Not, not too long ago, I was involved in a proposal and the acronym was S-U-C-C-O-R. Sucker. And I couldn't believe that. Exactly. I was, I couldn't believe we were trying to ask the government to fund the project called Sucker. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't get funded. <laughs> well, at least, you know, I got to hand it to, to our, you know, con- congressional and Senate delegates. I mean, at least they come up with acronyms that have like a, a, a fun, fun name to say, like the Corps of Engineers, no knock on them, but like theirs are usually just kind of like random letters. Like, uh, I mean, the hysteris isn't exactly all that exciting. It's, it's, it, HR or sorry, yeah, HSRDDS. So, I mean, it doesn't really make sense when you look at it. It just kind of sounds like people trying to phonetically spell out, you know, a bunch of consonants slapped together. But at least, you know, the Breeze Act and the Rise Act, those are those are good names. <laughs> They've got good marketing people working on those, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure they have like a team that, you know, all went in and they worked together and they came up with that acronym because you have to. It, it's part of the game, you know. Um, so I'm sure that the more that you're involved in ASPPA or the more that you're involved in paying attention to just the realm of whether it's local, regional or national policy, politics, news, the more word vomit slash acronym jumble just kind of get thrown around everywhere. And the more that you have to look things up and hope that the acronym that you're looking up is applicable to what you're <laughs> to to what you're trying to find. Sometimes they're not. And they, Correct. <laughs> there are so many acronyms. You look them up. Yeah. Um, so all of these acronyms, um, go ahead and look them up if you're interested. Rise Act, Breeze Act, Worda, W-R-D-A. Um, I'm sure there's more here. Feel free to look them up. And as long as they're resembling something coastal, you're probably in the right ballpark. Um, and I'm sure that we're going to talk about all of these at the Coastal Summit. So um, just kind of jumping into that, is there a general theme this year uh, for people to expect going into the summit? What, in like two weeks? Yeah, yeah, it's coming up real soon. I guess, uh, well, I guess three weeks now. But uh, it, so the theme this year is is uh, partnering to build resilient coastlines or coastal infrastructure. 
And um, I, I think that it's it's really topical. It's a, it's couldn't come at a better time, you know, with uh, the passage of the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law, uh, you know, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, and then other legislation that's been passed over the last couple of years. Um, and, and most of it, or, or if not all of it, has been, you know, very bipartisan in nature. Uh, so it's great to see that kind of, uh, I guess, partnership that, that's going on in, in D.C. And then it's carrying on down to the, the state and local level. So uh, definitely we're going to be wanting to look at, you know, how are some of these dollars for an infrastructure bill going towards creating more resilient coastal areas? You know, what kinds of uh, projects are being built through these dollars? Because now that some are starting to be allocated out, um, I, I think it's just a really promising time. Um, you know, we're going to be looking to, again, with this being like the first in-person, uh, summit in a while, it's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really excited to be quite honest. Um, this will be my first in-person, uh, summit. The first one I was scheduled to attend, um, ended up getting canceled, like literally three days before I was set to fly out because of COVID. So, um, I, I was able to help co-chair, uh, the 2021 summit, uh, which was all, you know, virtual and to, to the credit of ASBPA uh, and Annie Mercer, who is our, uh, our our technical director for that. I mean, it went about as smooth as any virtual conference I attended in those, you know, that COVID era, if you will. Um, but it's just not the same as being in person. Um, you know, it's, you know, it, it offered a lot of great opportunities for people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to attend because of, you know, travel costs or anything like that to be able to make it and, and participate. But um, getting to go and meet with people in person, getting to go and do the Hill visits and the agency visits and other things that ASBPA uh, helps to facilitate to their their uh, attendees or registrants is really just a, a great opportunity. Um, and I guess, I mean, for anyone who hasn't ever been before, uh, especially like, you know, young, I know this, is, this obviously is a podcast aimed at like students and younger uh, professionals. If you've never been and you're a young professional, I mean, this is a great opportunity to network with really, uh, you know, high level people uh, in, in in a very relaxed setting. I mean, you know, the reception that we host um, on the two or the I guess the Wednesday of the reception um, or no, sorry, it's the, the reception is on the Thursday. Yeah, what I can't, I can't remember. Wait, the 22nd, <laughs> the coastal, the coastal celebration. It's a great opportunity to go and just kind of like mingle with people. And and uh, you'll see senators and congressmen walking around and, uh, you know, project engineers, uh, you know, coastal managers, there's a whole, you know, potpourri of, of people there that you can uh, talk with and, and, you know, learn from them and, and probably help them learn from you. Um, I guess, uh, especially if you're planning on making any of the, the hill visits, uh, which I definitely would recommend. Um, it's something that I, I guess I've been doing now for a while, not necessarily through ASBPA, but, um, through the Coast Builders Coalition in Louisiana, we make a trip up to D.C. every year that coincides with uh, Washington Mardi Gras. Um, it's it's a fun trip, I won't lie, but it's a very productive trip, and it's it gives you this really interesting kind of uh, view into like the you know how the sausage is made. I guess you know getting to meet with these people and talk with them about how this legislation comes to be. It's not like anything I would have ever imagined. I mean, looking at it from a news viewer or something, you would never really get that, that kind of insight. And, um, it can be a little nerve wracking at times to go and meet with people who, you know, especially your first time, you kind of feel like, wow, man, I'm, I'm out of place. But, um, advice I would give to, to younger folks going up there is that 
most of these people, uh, you know, staffers, even, you know, the delegates themselves, chances are, you know, more about uh, coastal science. And in most cases, you're going to know more about coastal science than they do. So they're really wanting to learn from you. So don't, you know, don't feel intimidated. Um, uh, they may know a lot more about the, the legislative process than you'll ever know. Uh, and, and they may know more about like the actual details of the pieces of legislation that they're writing, but the actual science behind it, you can really have a big impact on, on making sure that these bills uh, go out and, and address the issues that they're intended to address just by giving them that, that kind of professional insight. I think, I think you make a, a good point there. I, you know, having, as somebody who at least for a little bit was a little resistant to attending the coastal summit and it was always more, interested in the, in the, in the fall conference, uh, more scientific, more academic-y, but, uh, as you said, it, I think it benefits everybody to kind of see, you know, to, to be in that area where decisions are being made, right. And how the science is being used. And I think it just gives you a, a better understanding, you know, for me as a, as a researcher, you know, about the types of things that I need to do or how to promote my research, because, like, as you said, when you, you're in these environments and you're talking and you're the expert, uh, if you're not going to help educate people about the coastal science, right, then you really can't sit back and complain when things, when legislation that doesn't make any sense is being passed, if you're not willing to be the one to help, you know, enlighten people, right? That's that's part of, and it, I think a lot of times, at least in the academic sense, we we, we shy away from that a little bit too much. And um, I, I think we really should take more ownership of the things that we're doing and the opportunities such as the Coastal Summit to really learn how to make our research make an impact, right? And and how to how to, how to to speak to the people that are making the decisions. So I, I think it's a, having been to a couple of Coastal Summits, I do think it's a really worthwhile opportunity, especially for students and young professionals, right? It helps... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, especially, I think, impactful um, early on in your career to kind of see that process. Um, so definitely for myself, I would advocate and I try to encourage my students as, as many as I can send to, to attend the Coastal Summits. Oh, yeah, I can't, I can't agree more. As someone who's never been, and I'm not sure if my organization would support me going to both like the summit and the national conference. So I usually just go to the national conference that's more relevant for what I'm doing. Um, how does the summit operate? Like what is the day-to-day, how is, what's the program like? Is it similar to the national coastal conference or what's different about it? I, I would say that the national coastal conference is much more um, of like a trade show type of environment. You know, you have a lot of companies there with booths and things like your typical conference um, you know, obviously very coastal, uh, focused, but, it, and then you have like a, more of a student centered kind of area where there's, you know, displays for people's, uh, research, you know, with theses and, and dissertations and things like that. So in that sense, it's, it's, um, it's more of like the kind of conference that, that most people are used to going to. Um, what makes the summit so unique to me is that you have all of these, professionals, you'll have engineers and program managers and, and stuff um, in attendance and also on, on panel discussions. But then you're also going to get to hear, you know, this year we got a representative from the White House's uh, implementation team for the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law. We're going to have, you know, 
leadership from different agencies like BOEM, uh, the, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, uh, NOAA, um, the Corps of Engineers, um, and we'll have different staffers kind of uh, coming in speaking. And, and so you're going to get a much different kind of side of things. Um, you'll see it, I guess, like really like you'll get to see like, you know, who is determining where dollars are going and then, you know, hearing from the agencies who are spending the dollars. So you'll get to hear, you know, really from like the source, like what's what's coming down the line from from someone working in the industry. It's, it's really useful um, because I get to kind of see what agencies are, are expecting to get what funding for us to chase projects. Um, but also, you know, we're going to get to hear from some of like the, the where where policy is driving, um, where policy is driving the science. Um, and and I, I certainly don't want to say that politicians are driving what uh, coastal science is saying. But in, in a sense, you know, grant dollars are kind of helping, you know, getting getting research funded. So we're getting to see like where these grant dollars are going. Um, and so this is also a good good opportunity for you if you're in research or if you're in uh, a professional field, you know, you can go out there and kind of advocate for, hey, look, these are areas that we need to be looking deeper into. Like we need to be looking into ways to reduce emissions. We need to be looking for ways to uh, promote more resilient communities and in- environments. You know, these are things that maybe you haven't thought of as a as a policymaker that when you're writing this next bill, you should keep these things in mind. So um, I guess it's in a sense, it's a little bit of like a cross between like professional engineering work. And then also maybe just a little touch of lobbying, (laughs) I guess is the best way to describe it. But uh, certainly, you know, I'm not a lobbyist by any stretch, but I certainly uh, have enjoyed being part of uh, a group like ASPPA that has gotten a chance to kind of, put forth the, uh, the collective ideas of, of, of our industry and of our science community uh, to the people who are, you know, deciding where these federal dollars are going. Soft lobbying. Marketing, marketing. Right, right. Marketing. <laughs> right, right. Sounds better. It's an in-person proposal. Yeah, lobbying is such a, it's such a, I don't know, like it's a loaded term. You know, you got to be careful. But uh, I, I guess it's uh, really just, you know, getting to have your, share your voice and, and getting to you know have an a, a active role in in the way things are run, and you know getting to be a, a active participant in government is is you know for me getting to do it is kind of like a hobby on the side when I go to these kinds of events. It's really exciting. I guess if I if I did it every day, it might be a little less uh, fun, but definitely I, I enjoy it, and it's it's been a really great experience to kind of see that inside uh, information. So, what type of advice would you give to uh, you know? I'm assuming that after listening to this podcast, you're going to get overwhelmed with registrations for the Coastal Summit. So what type of advice would you give to perhaps a student uh, or young professional that's attending for the first, how to make the most of it? Like what, what, what should they, what should they do? How do you make the most of an event like this? I think like for, for this, really any event um, that's, you know, geared towards this kind of networking environment as, you know, don't be shy, go, go talk to people, um, you know, there at these kinds of things, people are always going to be interested in talking to you. I mean, I know for us, we're always you know interested in talking to students because we're you know as a company, we're always looking for the next uh, generation of, of of science and engineering talent. So it, it can't hurt to go and talk to, to potential employers. Um, if you if there's an opportunity to go to a, a social event that's part of this, you know, definitely go to it. Um, you know, meeting people in a, a social, relaxed environment is always a lot easier than, you know, going into where, you know, everyone's kind of stuffy and dressed up. I mean, it's, 
uh, it, to me, it's just it, it like that, that social kind of, uh, uh, environment makes for much, much better networking. You, you remember people better. I think you, you can talk to people like, you know, it doesn't seem as formal. You don't have to try to constantly be, I don't know, sticking to a, a topic. You can just kind of chat, um, and, and, you know, get to know people a little bit. Um, and then again, you know, th there's, there's other things that, that we offer. Um, like I said, you know, besides just the, the presentations, which are very informative, you know, there's, there are going to be opportunities to go join groups, to go, you know, talk to your uh, legislators, go to talk to your, you know, agencies that you work with. Um, you know, all those things are, are great. And it's, I guess it's the oldest cliche in the book, but it's, you know, it's not, no, not what you know is who you know. And these kinds of things, you know, take advantage of getting to know some people, you know, it may, may come back to benefit you sometime down the road. Uh, like I said, whether it be a, an employment opportunity or just, I have people all the time call me asking like, Oh, Hey, do you know so-and-so at this agency? Well, I've, I met them at an ASBPA lunch and learner. I'm, I, they, they spoke at one of our ASCE luncheons or something. So uh, it, it's nice to kind of be able to tell them, yes, I, I know I can help introduce you. Um, it, you know, kind of helping other people out uh, is, is always nice, but you know, sometimes it comes back and uh, helps you in, in return. So you mentioned earlier the, the coastal celebration. Uh, you talk a little bit more about what that, what, what that event is, what it's like and, Sure. Um, so the Coastal Celebration is a reception. This can be held in the evening uh, at the Hart Senate Building. Um, I, like I said, it's it's on the uh, the second night uh, or second night of the of the of the Coastal Summit, um, and it's actually being hosted, you know, very graciously by uh, Senator Bill Cassidy uh, from Louisiana. So he'll get up and you know we'll have an introduction. He'll speak, I'm sure, on some of the things that he's pushing for from a legislative standpoint, um, as it relates to the Gulf coast and, and other coastlines. But, um, you know, we'll get to hear from other, other congressional and Senate delegates who will be there in attendance. Uh, I think there's going to be some of the, uh, awards will be administered there as well. Uh, of course we give out, uh, congressional awards to, uh, you know, lawmakers who are, uh, you know, champions of the coast. We'll have, uh, awards for the, uh, staffer of the year um, will have awards for agency uh, representatives. So it's really a, you know, it's a good opportunity to meet a lot of people. Um, and again, it's, it's a, it's a fun environment. It's, it's when we had it last year, I know Sue is still in the same room. Um, you know, it's in this big kind of auditorium room uh, with windows that like overlook the Capitol. I mean, really, really uh, beautiful skyline and everything. So it's a, it's a fun environment. Um, and I know we'll have a lot of folks from 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 NOAA and, and Bohm and, and the Corps of Engineers here as well. So uh, if you wanted to meet, you know, the uh, who's who of, of coastal uh, coastal stakeholders like this is the place to go. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what kind of representation goes to these goes to the summit? So you mentioned NOAA, Boehm. Um, who else might people uh, find there? It's it's really a, a really wide uh, range of people. Um, you know, like I said, there are. Obviously, I'm, I'm a coastal engineer. Well, not a coastal engineer by practice of geotechnical engineer, but um, work with coastal engineering projects. Um, so there will be engineers, scientists, geologists. You'll have, uh, you know, academic researchers, um, you know, basically every kind of stakeholder you can think of uh, from like the highest levels of, of the federal government all the way down to, you know, the local uh, uh, coastal managers. So uh, I think we you know, usually have a pretty good showing from, uh, folks from like Galveston, uh, you know, any kind of like Outer Banks areas. Like, and of course we have, uh, 
some some projects that get featured as as uh, you know coastal projects of the year. They'll get mentioned. And I'm sure some of their their representatives will be there, whether it's the designers and engineers who did the, the projects, or if it's um, the municipalities and and governments that that uh, help to to I guess sponsor those projects and fund those projects. So you really get of just a a little bit of everything. Um, and more so than you do with just, you know, typical conferences. Um, not to say that, you know, typical conferences aren't, aren't very valuable. They're great, but, um, you don't always get this, this level of like government involvement. So, uh, that makes it a little bit unique. Yeah. It makes it easier being in DC, I'm sure, um, for these folks to join. Um, so your company is an, is an international company. Are there other international presences, um, that attend? Uh, yes, there are. Um, you know, s- several of the companies that attend have offices uh, all around. Um, now, I, I don't want to name a bunch of them because I'm sure I'd leave somebody out, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm showing favoritism. But we definitely have a lot of uh, a, a lot of international companies and a lot of national companies as well. So um, it, it's it's very well attended um, you know, by by some of the highest levels of those companies. Um, and, and they're all doing very great things. And we're, we're partnered with several of the companies that are, are going to be there um, and, and, you know, have had a great history of doing great work with them on uh, projects on, on the coast, whether it be infrastructure projects or, or more natural kind of like marsh creation projects and things. So um, I, I'm very excited about seeing some of the folks that you know, may be in offices outside of Louisiana or outside of Houston, where I, I get you know to pretty regularly, but, uh, getting to see those folks is always great. Nice. I take it that's what you're most excited about. Oh yeah, yeah. It's I mean just being able to reconnect with people and uh, again, like I said, you know, getting to be uh, right in the middle of of the whole legislative process is just a really exciting experience. Yeah, that sounds great. So I'm wondering, um, you know, this is kind of where we're at now. We're kind of looking towards the future. Um, in your opinion, what do you think that we need from our new and upcoming future coastal policy professionals and why should students consider going into coastal policy and management in general? Um, I think that it goes without saying that uh, you know, climate change is something that we have to deal with. And, and it's, I mean, I know it can be a bit of a loaded question for some reason and uh, not to get too in, into the weeds on that, but um, it's something that we, you know, the Corps of Engineers recognizes, um, you know, all all people who are have like an engineering or scientific, I guess, oversight position in government, they recognize and, and, and understand. Um, so, and it's not a problem that's going away. Uh, I, I also don't think that, you know, just having a, an, a, pro, a policy of prohibition for energy is going to be the solution. I think that, you know, we need to be able to uh, innovate our way out of any issues that are coming out. I mean, it's like so many things throughout human history, you know, uh, innovation and advancement has had, you know, it's, it's own kind of, I guess, bad side, if you will. I don't know if I'd call it bad, but, um, it, you know, it's, it's led to, to issues that then we then have to manage. And so you're always kind of trying to, you know, I guess, uh, deal with, with, with the, the byproducts of whatever your innovation and advancement is, I guess is the best way to say it. But, Right now, you know, most of our population, or maybe not most, but a huge significant of our population lives on in coastal areas. A huge percentage of our commerce runs through or is housed in coastal areas. You know, a lot of our energy security is is uh, housed and or ge- generated in coastal areas. So we ne- definitely need, you know, 
bright minds coming up uh, now getting into be the, to be the next, you know, coastal managers and be the next coastal engineers, coastal scientists. Um, I think that it's, you know, we, we need to find ways that we can, you know, exist in, in better harmony, I guess I'd say. Um, there's, there's gotta be a, a balance of everything. Like, um, if we're, if we want to live in, in coastal areas a hundred years from now, you know, we've got to make sure that we can protect those areas and make sure that they are, are sustainable through that time. Uh, Louisiana, you know, obviously, uh, New Orleans is very famously below sea level. Um, and you know, without, uh, it'd be like engineering intervention, uh, it's very possible that, you know, Louis or New Orleans wouldn't exist, you know, a hundred years from now, but, you know, because of, uh, huge programs like the hurricane storm protection system that was built, uh, you know, after Katrina, you know, that city is better protected during hurricane Ida, uh, that came through in 2021. Um, you know, we had a lot of wind damage because it was a high wind event, but there was no levee overtopping. There was no, uh, you know, major damage. It could have been another Katrina had it not been for the investment into that coastal infrastructure that protected the city. Um, uh, I guess to contrast that, though, with areas outside of the, the protection system, they got hit really hard. And, you know, it was it was devastating in, in some areas. And there's areas that are going to be you know years or decades to to uh, come back on. So I think that that really kind of juxtaposition shows you just how important it is to invest time, effort, talents, money into protecting those areas. Like if we care about places like Miami, New York, uh, you know, Houston, Galveston, New Orleans, anywhere that's a coastal area that's low lying, you know, we've got to be prepared to, to invest what needs to be done to protect them and, and keep them sustainable. Yeah. I think you, you hit on the, uh, I think one of the things that makes working in the coastal environment so interesting is that there's all of these competing interests and there's all these challenges and striking that appropriate balance that you mentioned uh, is not something that's easy to do or easy to achieve. So, um, you know, certainly uh, when you go to something like the, the coastal summit, uh, I think you really start to get an appreciation for uh, the different agencies and they all have their different focuses and, you know, how they're trying to achieve that balance and how, you know, certainly working together um, is important uh, to achieve that balance, but it's, it, 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 it's a complicated issue. And it, you know, that's why, you know, for me, certainly, you know, the engineers are a critical part of the equation, but then there's also the scientists, there's the, um, coastal scientists, the ecologists, there's the, the policy folks that understand and social science, social scientists understand people, right? Like all of this comes together and, you know, all of that, you know, the decisions being made that influences all of that comes through DC for the most part, right? So being in that environment and talking to these people, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's certainly invaluable experience for, for young students and, and new professionals. Well, there's there's also a point where we can over-engineer the coast, right? And so what is the limit for that? Or, you know, when do we know that we have over-engineered uh, a certain area of the coastline? You know, um, that's actually a very good point. Um, so, again, I don't, I don't want to – the Corps of Engineers has done great work, and I don't want to beat them up. But um, if you look back at 
Louisiana's issues with coastal land loss, a lot of it can really be traced back to the levee system along the Mississippi River. Granted, now that that levee system that we have was put in place in response to the 1927 floods, um, you know, that was devastating to communities. And so in in order to protect them, we built levees. Um, The levees, though, also prevent seasonal flooding, which then historically over, you know, many, many thousands of years um, deposited sediment and created what is South Louisiana. So by starting that system of its natural process, you know, we've kind of accelerated the land losses there, which is why things like sediment diversions are being evaluated now and why like beneficial use of dredge uh, material is being used so much to help kind of, I guess, give nature a hand. You know, we've kind of tied nature's hands behind her back, but now we're helping to to kind of like work uh, in its place. Um, And I think that's something we'll probably see with a lot of other things. I mean, again, kind of going back to where innovations that have helped uh, protect people, make people's lives more comfortable, make them better. You know, there's often, you know, unintended consequences that create issues. And, you know, coastal engineering is the same kind of way. Um, One person's uh, jetty or groin structure uh, to help uh, promote sedimentation on one side of the beach, maybe starving the down uh, drift side uh, of that same sediment. So we're always kind of like, I guess, trying to balance, uh, I guess, innovation over, over issues that we're facing. With engineering, we might get siloed at some points, um, especially when you're talking about a traditional engineering field, like mechanical, civil, biomedical, they're siloed. And coastal engineering seems to be have less of one tall silo and more of a uniform-ish distribution across multiple different um, practices. Um, What's the word? Again, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Disciplines. Disciplines is the word I'm looking for. Um, You know, that's something that we mentioned at the beginning of this, of the beginning of this show is there's a lot of people at the table when it comes to trying to solve coastal engineering problems. And sometimes we might need to invite more people, but again, the more people that you have at the table, the more complex uh, the problem seems to become. And one thing that something that one person does affects three people downstream, for example, and we, those people downstream need to have representation at the table. Mm, Just, in general, but that over, it's overcomplicating the problem as well. So I don't know. It's, I think. You're down a philosophical rabbit hole right now. I know. I don't know. What did I start? But you know what I mean? It's yeah. You, the more people that you have at the table, it's, it's hard to, to come up with a solution that fits everybody's needs and meets everybody's needs and solves everybody's problem. And I think that the, greatest strength that we can all and the greatest skill set that we can all try to hope to achieve is just communication, transparency, transparency, being open and honest, um, um, you know, being open to other people's points of view. uh, And really, if everybody um, now it feels like everybody in the coastal field needs to have some concept of risk, risk analysis, risk management in order to balance out and 
have a more tactical approach or strategic approach to making decisions um, under such an uncertainty uh, for things they can and can't control, um, as well as accounting for or doing as good of a job as we can, as best of a job that we can of accounting for everybody's needs at the table. Um, and I think that the Coastal Summit is certainly, it sounds like one of those places where all of those types of talking heads are there at the table to do just that. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Um, and, and I guess to your point about the, the, the whole coastal, if you want to call it an industry, I guess, coastal resiliency industry, um, it is incredibly multifaceted. I mean, there's so many different things because, I mean, as I guess really the, the industry is just as dynamic as the environments we're working to protect and, and, and make more resilient. Um, I mean, you can't just approach things from a, you know, hard construction, civil engineering kind of approach where everything's concrete and, and steel. Um, but that may be required for certain things like flow control structures, uh, flood gates, flood walls, whatever you name it. Sometimes you need a lighter approach that uh, that incorporates the ecology of things, or the you know the sedimentology, the geology that goes with it. All these things you know play an important role, and you can't just ignore one over the other. Uh, I guess at the same token, you you can't overanalyze something to the point that you just never do anything. But um, you know, I guess a, a good example of of where science has kind of evolved to, or I guess well, a, an evolving understanding of science um, has helped to improve the process. Um, the Louisiana CPRA um, had, uh, I guess for a long time, you know, they had these, these priority projects and they based their projects kind of like on, you know, where are the areas where we have the most loss, where are the areas where we have the most need to protect. And those were kind of how they prioritize projects. Well, you know, through, you know, listening to scientists and in, and in some cases, even just kind of seeing the effects of, of overlooking maybe one thing, they were able to determine like, Hey, we've got, you know, areas with faulting and, you know, Louisiana isn't going to, you know, it doesn't have like seismic uh, faulting. Like you might see like in the West coast, that's going to create earthquakes, but you have these district faults that create um, settlement in an accelerated rate. It's uh, across a certain plane. And so if you go to build a Mars creation project where, you know, we're, we're uh, filling an area with dredge spoils, that added load is helping to accelerate that fault creep. Um, and so we're taking an area that we need to protect, but we might, if we're cr crossing that, that fault, we're losing half of the project. Well, so by incorporating that, that's that understanding that has been built up in some cases through um, old oil and gas exploration, because they have, you know, these unbelievable libraries of, of geologic data at deep, deep depths. Um, we can then part of that, use that data, understand, hey, this is an area that we don't want to touch, leave it alone. We'll, we'll prioritize, prioritize an area north of that or, or you know, outside of that fault area. Um, I think the same thing can be said for, you know, areas in the northeast where we're seeing like a lot of offshore wind, um, you know, understanding, uh, you know, how the, the environment is going to be impacted by construction, um, you know, cable routing, all these different things. You know, we want to make sure that we're taking all the science that we can, all the data we have to make the most informed decisions on making sure that we're we're doing things that we need to do to uh, to support the the communities and the economies and the ecologies that are all there. You know, at the same time, without you know one one project hurting another. Um, 
but yeah, no, I, I think that, yeah, for, there's so many opportunities and it doesn't have to be engineering. It doesn't have to be geology. Um, you know, coastal, coastal management covers so many different things. Um, and we, and we need all of the people, you know, all the brightest minds we can get, uh, to, in the future to, to, to carry on the work that's already been started and frankly, to do better than we are. I mean, like we're, we're doing, I think we're doing a lot of great work now, but, um, as science improves, as understanding improves, you know, the next generation, they're going to do things that we never dreamed of. Snaps for that. I only hope the best for them. Well, Jack, I have one last question for you, and we always love to end uh, this show on, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be about the Coastal Summit, but you can make it whatever you want to be, essentially. Uh, what advice would you give to a student or a young professional who is interested in pursuing a career or a position that's similar to yours? Sure. Um, well, I guess I just, you know, be open and and. Don't don't turn your head or your nose up at, at any opportunity that comes your way. Um, I guess kind of going back to my my early days as an undergrad, um, I used to be I, I hated giving presentations. I felt unbelievably uncomfortable. But I had, my advisor told me like, oh wow, you really get, do a good job speaking in front of people. Um, in fact, our, our senior design class we had to do a, an emergency management plan and then present it to the mayor of, of Oxford, Mississippi, which was incredibly nerve wracking for a however old I was like 20 something years old at the time, 22. And, um, and I felt horrible and comfortable. He, he kind of, I guess after hearing that, like it was one of those like, Oh, well, I guess I'm, I'm, I am, maybe I'm not as uncomfortable as I think I sound. Um, but then he also told me one time, like, you know, you'd be really good in, in sales. And at the time I didn't really know how to take that. I was kind of like, man, that's, those are fighting words. Like I'm here to be an engineer and you're over here telling me I'm like door to door salesman. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of stuck with me because as I, you know, worked up in my career and and got um, more into like client facing roles, and now being like senior business development manager for the Gulf Coast for Fugro, um, I look back at that all the time. I'm like, man, like you know, I guess he saw an aptitude in in a in a, a scope that's important in the engineering world that I just never would have thought I would do, and. Um, I'm still obviously doing engineering and, and technical work, uh, but like I'm a lot of my time now is is, is coastal uh, you know, advocacy with ASBPA and and you know meeting with clients, meeting with stakeholders, uh, you know getting to meet with congressmen and stuff. And like if I'd have just said, "Oh, the hell with that! I'm not doing sales," I would have missed out on an incredible opportunity that I've really come to enjoy. And and I think that I guess if I was going to put it in, like summarize it into like one set statement, it's like. You know, when you're looking for a career, you're looking for, you know, what you want to do with your life. Um, you know, there's three things that you really have to be able to satisfy. Like, do I enjoy what I'm doing? Because if you don't enjoy it, then what's the point? Like, it's you're going to be if you're miserable. It's not, don't even bother. Um, are you good at it? Like, if, if it's something that you are you can succeed at, you know, that's going to obviously make you enjoy it more. But like, um, it's always, you know, it. There's times, especially like with a PhD, I feel like the biggest th drawback is I feel like, you know, I have imposter syndrome half the time. So like, you know, if, if, but if you feel confident and know what you're doing, you're doing well, that's always very uh, fulfilling. And then really, uh, and lastly, of course, is does it pay? So if you can get three things that you can, you can get, you know, uh, a, a good living, make, make enough money to be, you know, live comfortably, you can do something that you are good at and something that you enjoy. If you do those three things, you've got it made. Wow. I wrote those down for myself. This was great. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's kind of been my mantra, I guess. 
And it's gotten you this far. Uh, I can definitely reaffirm what your advisor said. Uh, you're very good and easy to talk to. Um, you're good at communicating and explaining maybe some of the technical things or just uh, in general breaking it down and and having it flow. So I really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, I wish I was going to the summit so we can meet in person maybe next year. Um, that would be great. Safe travels uh, to the summit in the next, uh, uh, well, this month, whenever anybody listens to this, hopefully before the summit, um, you also have safe travels uh, getting there. And if you haven't already registered, I think by the time this episode comes out, you might have a week or so to do that uh, to get all set. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think there's a Zoom, a virtual option for the summit this year. Is that true? Or is it all in person? Yes, there, there is a, a virtual option. And um, I think some of the agency visits were going to be held via Zoom or, or some other kind of virtual means. So um, if you, uh, I definitely recommend, you know, signing up for those. I don't know if there's a limit to the number you can sign up for it, but it might be just like one agency to make sure we're not overwhelming the system. But, um, you know, sign up early. And, uh, and if you have any interest in anything that I think it's Bohm, Noah, and the core engineers that we have set up. So definitely uh, take advantage of those. Excellent. You heard it here, folks. Register early, be prepared, be open, and make sure you're having a good time. Thank you so much, Jack, for being here. <laughs> Thank you all for listening in this month. Uh, as a reminder, the Students and New Professionals chapter is starting a mentoring program, and this calls into attention all coastal professionals of all disciplines, students, researchers, and other advocates. Um, we, this mentorship program is, um, trying to grab everybody's attention and get you to participate. Students and new professionals, uh, will be able to kind of sign up, uh, through us and request a mentor through us. And likewise, professionals can sign up to become a mentor and establish that mentor mentee relationship based on your application. The students and new professionals chapter, we will do our best to pair that, uh, relationship for you play matchmaker, foster conversations, and help you to help the next generation of coastal experts find their bearing. If you are interested um, or have any questions, feel free to email us at asbpa.snp at gmail.com and stay tuned for at the uh, asbpa.org. Look for the students and new professionals chapter. I think there should be some more details about the program going up there um, where you can learn more. The ASBPA National Coastal Conference will take place in October from October 11th through the 13th in Providence, Rhode Island. I'm not sure when abstracts uh, are due, but I think the call might open up soon. So again, stay tuned at ASBPA.org to stay abreast and learn more. The Best Restored Beaches nominations are open now through April 30th. So make sure if you have a Best Restored Beach in mind that you'd like to nominate, get those in in the next two months. And the ASBPA Water Level Data Collection Survey is now open through March 17th. It's kind of a closer deadline. Uh, again, check out ASBPA.org to um, learn more and, and submit your water level data collection. And last but not least, do you enjoy listening to this podcast? Do you enjoy listening to John and I 
interview some rising stars and seasoned professionals in the coastal field. Well, you can support Going Coastal while aligning your brands with the ASPPA Students and New Professionals chapter. We will customize a sponsorship package for you and your company uh, to deliver on your marketing goals and connect with the next generation of coastal professionals. Share your story in the top coastal and ocean podcasts and on Coastal News Today. So if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, please contact Tyler Buckingham at tyler at coastalnewstoday.com or go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising. <laughs>